Thank you, Joseph. I appreciate uh, the invite here as well as being able to be with you. And it is going to be wonderful to talk to you tonight about social media and how it affects us. I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. We're going to be starting there. and We'll be camping out there the whole time that we're talking this evening. Social media is part of our lives. It is part of everything that we do almost. And our kids are living lives. They're living entire lives in the digital world on social media. Now, that could be a good thing. It could also be a bad thing. There's many positives about social media. How many of you have been in touch with uh, old classmates, old companions, old people, old friends through Facebook? Uh, You find out news maybe through Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. Uh, And then there's the negative side, the, the negative side that you see things that you don't want to see, to see things that your kids, you don't want your kids to see. We're going to talk a little bit about that here tonight. As we start, I want to introduce you to my son, Jacob. Not the one with the blue goggles on. That's David trying to get in the picture. Um, But Jacob is in the foreground there. And Jacob is six years old. He loves swimming, as you can see. We bought one of those big 180-gallon tubs from Tractor Supply. And you would not believe how much use we get out of that in the summertime. You fill that joker up with water, and them kids will swim in it for hours. It is great. So they're swimming in that tub right there in our backyard, okay? And um, they're absolutely loving it. He loves swimming. He loves watching his DVDs. He loves music. He can play drums. He can do all sorts of different things. He loves school, believe it or not. There is a child out there that loves to go to school. He was so excited this morning, he woke up at 5.45 to get on the bus at 7.25, okay? He was so excited for the first day of school today, first day of first grade. He is just like any normal six-year-old, except he's not. Shortly after Jacob turned one, my wife and I knew that something just wasn't right. We had that feeling that you get as parents, you know, that you just get that you know just something is wrong. He wasn't making good eye contact with us. He wasn't socializing with other kids the way that he should have. We took him to Vanderbilt Children's Hospital shortly after that. It didn't take doctors long to diagnose him with autism spectrum disorder. Naturally, it was devastating to my wife and I. How were we going to raise this autistic child? How were we going? Was he going to be okay? What would the future hold for him? We had so many, so many different questions in this barrage of questions in our minds. It was anger for me that I remember. I was just angry. Men react with anger most of the time. I'm just just angry because I can't fix it. Women react differently than men. That's why they're different than us. And my wife's response was to just pull herself away. She had a rough time. We both had a rough time those first few weeks. And doctors and psychologists, well, let me back up just a minute. Jacob turned seven in October. And he's doing phenomenal. He is doing absolutely wonderful. He started kindergarten in a special needs classroom last year, quickly moved into a normal classroom because the teacher, the special needs teacher there called us and said, he is too good to be in this classroom. He has too much potential to be in this classroom. 
moved him to a normal classroom. He's reading at a fourth grade level. He's doing math for second graders. He's very, very smart. He's learned to sit still. He's learned to stay seated. He's learned to, to be potty trained. Things that two years ago would have been looked impossible for us. Doctors and psychologists have, that have worked with him, that have came and to him, we have, we have a number of them, maybe possibly a hundred of them that we have seen, they have told us that early intervention was the main reason that he is flourishing and doing so well now. They have told us over and over again because we were proactive in getting him the help that he needed. It has made all the difference. Because we were able to sweep away our pride, because we were able to swallow that pride and, and get him the help and go get that diagnosis. Once he got that diagnosis, it opened him up to a whole world of help. And he has done so well. And he is doing so well because of so many people that love him. I tell you this, reason, this story, this reason, this account, I guess, because there wasn't anything that my wife could have done while she was pregnant, to prevent Jacob from having autism. There was no chemical that she inhaled. There was no radiation she was exposed to. There was nothing like this that she did or did not do. There was not some special pill that she could have taken to prevent that. And when we are talking about digital parenting, when we're talking about the world that surrounds us in social media, sometimes you can do all the things. You can set up all the boundaries and you can set up all the, the, the fences and the restrictions and you can watch and you can monitor and you can protect and it's still, something still evil is going to creep in. When we talk about social media this evening, we need to have the attitude of being proactive. Having a plan and a plan to react rather than just being reactive. Because if we wait for something to happen, and it's going to, if we wait for something bad to happen or some, some instance to happen with a friend or a relative or something, then we're not looking at it in the right way. So I tell you that story so that we can be proactive and not reactive. And I think what it says in James chapter 3 about being proactive means we need a plan. James 3 lays out a plan for us of sorts on how we should look at the way that we speak. That's what social media is. Just a bunch of people socializing on these apps and these services and on these devices, all interconnected in this social web across the internet and across our devices. That's all it is. And when we talk about, when James 3 talks about the tongue here, about taming the tongue, about the words that we use and that we say, I think we can broaden that to all sorts of communication. It's not just what we say, what we say with our mouth, it's what we type on those tiny little keyboards. It's what we post. It's what we share as far as photos and videos. It's what we like and what we retweet and what we share about our beliefs and share about our ideas. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 10. I want to read that for us this evening. For we all stumble in many ways. Not a truer statement in all of Scripture. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large 
and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. Some versions say small spark. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. James does not have a good outlook on how we speak right here. He starts to get into this. He says, in the tongue, verse 6, is a fire and a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, sitting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James is a very practical book. It speaks of practical things, and he is talking about, compares our tongues, how we speak, the things that we say to a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, and a forest fire. And I want to take one of those and talk about it this evening. This is a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier. It's a floating city. 3,100 officers and crew. It is 1,092 feet long and 400 feet wide. It displaces over 100,000 tons of water at full load, and it carries 118 various aircraft. Thanks to nuclear power, it can go 20 years without refueling. How big do you think the rudder of this ship is. You would think it would be crazy big, right? It's 30 feet by 20 feet. Now granted, that's a pretty big rudder for a pretty big ship, but when you consider how big a Nimitz-class aircraft carrier is, that rudder is positively tiny. James here says that that rudder is small. It directs the whole ship. That one piece of metal that's probably no bigger than this auditorium directs that entire vessel. How many metric tons? 100,000 metric tons in the water. It directs the whole ship, that rudder does. Our tongues are a small part of our body, but the weight that they carry is huge. It may be one of the smallest parts of our bodies, but it has a huge impact. Social media has given us a big microphone to broadcast our beliefs, our ideas, our concerns, our worries, our gripes, our moans, our complaints, everything. It's given us this huge radio station to broadcast to everyone that we know. Make no mistake, if you're not listening to your children, someone on social media will be. I think it's incredibly important that we understand the impact of not just our words that James is talking about here, but the things that we post and the things that we retweet and the things that we like and share on social media. Kids these days have the assumption that whatever they type on that tiny keyboard does not have any consequences. Parents, we need to do our job to make sure that kids understand that what you say on these little devices matters. James here says, if you were to sum it up in one sentence, one phrase, What you say matters. What you say can hurt someone. What you say can lift someone up. 
And we have even more power in our fingertips and in our pockets when we type those things out on a small little keyboard. So to get that point across when we talk about that this, mo- this evening, that's all I wanted to say as far as um, looking at this from a biblical perspective. I wanted to talk about this gentleman. I don't know if I mentioned him last week or not. I think I might have. But this is Dr. B.J. Fogg. He is the creator in 1998 of the Persuasive Technology Lab at Stanford University. He was a newly minted doctor of psychology, lived in Palo Alto, California. He received a grant from the National Science Foundation in 2005 to support experimental work on how mobile phones can be used to motivate and persuade people in an area of study that he calls mobile persuasion. In 2003, he published a book, Persuasive Technology, Using Computers to Change What We Think and Do. The book lays out his definition for what he calls captology. In 2007, Fogg created a Stanford course about Facebook apps. Just a simple course about Facebook apps. And he's using what's called mass interpersonal communication. His students, over the course of 10 weeks, engaged 16 million people. Just his class of 100 students created apps that engaged 16 million people in 10 weeks. Students did that. Since the advent of the iPhone and screens in our pockets, and the mobile app ecosystem that comes along with it in the last 11 years, his research has obviously become hugely in demand and has skyrocketed. He says this, he has this about um, his slogan here, for the Persuasive Technology Lab, we design machines to change humans. Notice he didn't say change behavior. He said to change humans, to change who we think we are. That's important. Author Richard Fried says this, and this is, this is really telling. He says, Fogg speaks openly about the ability to use smartphones and other digital devices to change our ideas and actions. This is what Fogg said. He says, we can now create machines that change what people think and what people do, and the machines that can do that autonomously, meaning there doesn't even have to, somebody just has to program it and let it go to work, and it does what it's supposed to do. He's called the millionaire maker. He talked, to, he talked about how he groomed former students to have methods to develop technologies to consume kids' lives. He recently touted his personal website. My students often do groundbreaking, excuse me, groundbreaking projects. They continue to have impact on the real world after they leave Stanford. For example, Instagram has influenced the behavior of over 800 million people. The co-founder was one of my students. Make no mistake about social media. When we talk about social media, it can be dangerous. But I wanted to put this in there to let you understand maybe what we're up against as parents. There are people and out there that are designing technologies specifically targeted to 13 to 18-year-olds. They're trying to hook them early in life so that they will be hooked for the rest of their lives. Now, that puts a big that paints a big evil picture of all social media. Well, not all social media is evil, but most of it is not for your child's benefit. It's one of those things that we need to understand. There's a few guidelines I think that we can remember, and I'm just going to kind of go through these as we talk about these, and then we'll get to some fun things. I'm going to ask you for some audience participation about what you think about certain social networks, especially Facebook. 
But we need to remember a few things when we look at social media. We need to look at and make sure that we understand that we are the product, not the customer. These services build themselves as services to you, the customer. You think that you are the customer. You are Facebook's customer. You're Instagram's customer or user. You use their service when actually they're using you. They're using your data. They're using everything that you do from every like, from everything that you look at. Instagram has an algorithm that everything that you like, when you go to the search and explore tab, the little magnifying glass, it will show you similar things to the things that you've liked, and it continuously changes. These are computer programs that are continuously thinking about what you want to see. If you have looked at lots of pictures of guns and knives, it'll show you lots of pictures of guns and knives. If you've looked at something inappropriate, it's probably going to show you more photos of inappropriate things. It knows, and these machines are thinking about constantly, they don't ever sleep, they don't ever have to go to the bathroom, they don't ever have to take a break, they're constantly turning and thinking about what your kids want to see next. We need to make sure that we're watching and protecting our kids on these things. Just know that you are the product, not the customer. These companies make billions off of us. They make billions off of our likes, off of our posts and retweets and things like that. And one thing I do want to say is that social media does not have your child's best interests at heart. Sure, it's a great tool. It keeps us in touch with people. It lets us see the news. It's entertaining for the most part. I mean, I can't tell you how much entertainment I get off of Facebook, right? But when we look at that in the same way, it is so engaging, and we use that word engaging because we don't want to use the word addictive. We don't want to say that we're necessarily addicted to these things. And maybe I'm talking to adults as well as kids now because we're all kind of addicted to these things whether we like it or not. Social media does not have many of our best interests at heart. Just like any other product, they want you to come back over and over and over again. That's their aim. I said this last week, so I won't spend too much time on it. But just know that any, on any social network or any kind of internet device, any kind of mobile device, any kind of application, doesn't matter if it says it's private, doesn't matter if it says it's encrypted, doesn't matter if it says the government can't snoop up on you, doesn't matter if it's a virtual private network, doesn't matter if it's any of those different things, nothing is private. Absolutely nothing is private. I said this last week probably, but... When you put something out on, that, on the internet, when you put something out on your phone, when you send that text message, when you put that tweet out on Twitter, or you put that Facebook post out, or you share that photo on Facebook, that is out there. It is public and permanent. Public in the sense that everybody can see it, and public in the sense that if it's private, meaning if I send a text message to one of you, to your phone number privately, that doesn't mean it's private. That just means that you're the only one who saw it directly, but it's sitting on somebody's server somewhere, probably one of the government's servers. And so when we're thinking about that, nothing is private. It's public, which means it's not, it's out there, and it is permanent, which means it is written in stone. These things are written in stone because anybody can copy and recopy and do these different things and paste these things into different applications. There is no stopping any of these sorts of things. Just know that we cannot expect anything that is transmitted to be private, ever. 
Everything is on lockdown for these things. A um, couple of other different things, and this is kind of one of those, I guess, one of those duh statements. <laughs> but we need to know our username and account for all of our child's passwords. Because that means that you can log on to any of those apps that your child, that you allow your child to use. And you will see their activity. You'll see anything about what they're doing. And that just petrifies all the kids in the room. Right? And you laugh, but it's absolutely true. Because they don't want you... Remember, we, kids want their privacy. Especially older kids, they want their privacy. My, my four-year-old is so funny. He learned what privacy meant the other day. <laughs> he was sitting in the bathroom doing his business. And I said, David, and he's like, Daddy, go out. And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, Daddy, I need my privacy. And I'm like, I don't even know where you learned that, that word. But fine, I'll shut the door, right? Do our kids get privacy on these devices? Do we allow them to have privacy on these things? Because you're the one paying for the device. You're the one that's in charge of the device. God has put you in charge of being their parents and their protectors. So it's very important to us that you would protect them on these devices just as we would protect them in the real world. We need to protect our kids in the digital world just as we would in the real world. You need to know your child's username and account to any and all accounts. And we'll talk a little bit about this. Um, you need to make sure that the, the net is not too wide, that the water is not too deep. And what I mean by that is if we, every one of these social networks that we're going to talk about today that I have mentioned today, how old, and I'll get some participation from you here and ask you a question directly. How old do you think you have to be to be on these lawfully? How old is, is, is the youngest that you can be to sign up for one of these social network accounts? Does anybody know? Anybody? 18? No, that's incorrect. 13. Okay? Almost every single one of these social media accounts is 13 years old. Which means if you have a child that is on one of these social networking sites that is not 13, then you had to lie about their age when you signed them up or when they signed up. And so that right there should tell us None of these kids should be on these until they're 13. But when you decide to allow your child to be on these social networking apps, you need to be very careful which ones you choose, obviously. And we'll talk about some that you shouldn't choose here in just a minute. But again, you need to have them ankle deep in the water. Don't throw them into the Olympic-sized swimming pool. Okay? We need to have... Limits on apps, limits on the number of apps that they can use, limits on the number of social media accounts that they can have. They're on my website, if you go to activedigitalparenting.com, there is a, something called a parent-child device contract. And there was this lady on ABC News that drafted up this 18-point contract for her son that she was giving a phone to for Christmas. She spent hours with that phone before she even gave it to him at Christmas, locking it down, putting restrictions on it making sure that it was exactly how she wanted it to be and how she could control it, not necessarily him. And so she put up this contract. It's got some very practical things. If you'd go and download it, look at it, it's a PDF. But one of the first things that she recommends is that, or once she says to her son, is that you're limited to five social media accounts. And you can define social media however you want to. 
but you are limited to five accounts. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but you want your child to make sure that their scope is about this big, not this big. You want them to be ankle deep in the water, not in the waterfall, the stream, the rushing rapids of the river of the internet. We need to make sure that we do the same thing. You know, my mom, when I was, um, when I was a teenager, I was 17, and I had this little rust bucket of a truck that any time it got to 55 miles an hour, it just went like this, Right? I lived in, I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, and I met this girl at summer camp, and I was in love, or at least I thought I was. And I wanted to drive to the big, huge city of Decatur to go see her. Well, Decatur was 45 minutes away, and my mom says, no, you've had your license for six months, you're not going to Decatur. She was not allowing me to go outside of that little scope of our little community out there in outskirts of Newmarket, Alabama. She did not want me to go outside, and she eventually whined it. We do that with our kids. We let them go places. We don't let our 10-year-olds go places that we might let our 14-year-olds. We don't let our 14-year-olds go places that we would let our 18-year-olds go, and vice versa. And we have to think about that same kind of concept when we're thinking about digital parenting. We have to allow them to have a small pool to start with and then let them grow as they mature. And I used the phrase last week, as they mature into responsible digital citizens. Let's uh, talk a little bit about this one right here. I think I may have mentioned it last week, but I wanted to mention it again. Your child will naturally gravitate towards what is popular with their friends and what you're not using. Okay? How many of you wanted to hang out with your friends, or excuse me, with your parents when you were 16 years old? How many of you kids that are teenagers want to hang out with your parents? right now. <laughs> There's one kid back there going. I didn't want to hang out with my parents and no other teenagers do because they just don't want to they can think of they can think of 792 things that they would rather be doing than hanging out with their parents. And the reason where the place where I hung out was the grocery store parking lot because why my parents weren't there. That was the simple fact of the matter. When we think about the internet, that has gone the same way. In the real world, we have done that. In the digital world, kids have done that as well. How many kids do you think are on Facebook these days? As we kind of go into this discussion about Facebook, how many, what is the, I want to ask you a direct question here. What do you think is the average age of a Facebook user in 2018? What is the average age of a Facebook user? Anybody? 45? 40? 50? This isn't Price is Right. You can, the, the, it's not, I'm not going to give you a prize for the closest one, okay? But y'all are right around exactly what it is, 35 to 45. Do you know what it was seven years ago? 25 to 35. We just moved that old age bracket right up, right? What does that tell you? Oh, there's no kids on Facebook, right? Kids aren't on Facebook. They actually are, believe it or not. The data, and people would say, well, kids aren't on Facebook anymore. The data doesn't say that. The data tells us that there are plenty of teenagers that are on Facebook, and guess what they're doing? They're watching what you say. They're not interacting. They're not posting. They're not liking. Now, they may want to dislike some of the pictures that you put up there when they were little kids in the bathtub, right? 
but they're not doing that. They're not interacting, but they're watching what you are saying and what you're doing. Case in point, I asked a bunch of teenagers not too long ago exactly what they thought of certain social networks. We're going to pick on Facebook. We're going to pick on Twitter a little bit tonight. I asked teenagers, I said, what do you truly think about Facebook? What is it? Okay? This is our first one. That's where my dad goes to complain about stuff. Kid said, verbatim, he said, oh, that's where my dad goes to complain about stuff, right? And some of them didn't have Facebook accounts, especially our younger kids. The younger kids, they don't even really care what, what Facebook is, okay? This one is funny. I just alluded to it, but it's where my mom tags me in photos that I don't want anyone to see. My wife's mother is terrible about this. She has binders. I bet you she has enough binders to fill up this whole pew of, of, of photos. And she scans, she'll get on a wild hair and she'll scan those photos and she'll put them all on Facebook. And Bonnie, I'll hear Bonnie on the phone going, Mom, you can't post pictures like that. You can't do that on Facebook. You can't do that. And she just doesn't, she doesn't know. But that's kind of what some kids think. This one is really funny. It's mainly for old people like my mom and my dad. And my grandpa writes on it in all caps. And I apologize in advance if any of you of the older generation are ones that write on Facebook in all caps. I understand what you're doing because it, you can see the letters on the screen. I understand that. But that's internet vernacular for yelling. Okay? And there's always one, there's always one that comments on my wife's pictures of our children. Okay? We'll put a picture of our children up on Facebook and it'll be, oh, that's so precious, so cute, so precious. Oh, that is so precious. It's so wonderful. To, and it's like, oh my goodness gracious. Miss Betsy, it's okay. You don't have to use all caps, okay? This is what kids are thinking about what Facebook really is. Let's talk about Twitter a little bit. And I, I kind of want to finagle this a little bit. I want you to fill in any of the social networks that you have heard bad things about when I put Twitter up there. I want you to put in your Snapchats. I want you to put in uh, all the sorts of different things that you may have heard that they have, children have used and abused, okay? Twitter is one of those things that your kids should not be on, period, okay? Because there is so much trash and garbage on Twitter, and what the kids said about a social network like Twitter should be very telling to us as adults raising kids in a digital world. The first kid said, it's the social network my parents don't know how to use. You don't know how to use it, therefore, that's where I'm going to be. Because if you don't know how to use it, you don't know how to track me. And if you don't know how to use it, you don't know what I'm doing, and I can do whatever I want. We need to make sure that our kids are not understanding that that is okay, because it's not. Doing whatever we want on these devices is not okay. We are going to be held accountable exactly like we would in real life for everything that is done on these devices. A couple of these are really telling. It's basically the wild west of the internet. Pretty much anything goes. Imagine how easy it is to find pornography on Twitter. Within two to three clicks, you're right there. Twitter is a dumpster fire. It's a garbage heap. In fact, Twitter has such a hard time with um, 
spam accounts, what they call spam accounts or robot accounts, is they think it's up to 55 to 60% of users on Twitter are these spam accounts. It's a place where your child should not be in any form. Twitter, Twitter is where my parents can't keep up with me. You fill in any of those other apps that we're talking about, especially ones like Snapchat or Instagram. Well, Snapchat is where my, parent, my parents don't understand it and they can't keep up with me there. Hmm. Well, Instagram, my parents don't have an account so they can't monitor what I'm doing and they don't know my username and password so they don't know how to log in, they don't know what I'm doing. What does that start to tell you? We're not giving our kids boundaries. This last one is where I can say what I want to without being judged and nobody knows who I really am. This is getting to a core belief with kids for some reason that they want to do things anonymously. Some of the biggest uh, problems that schools have had with apps are the ones that are anonymous apps. The ones that they can't tell who the person really is because it's anonymous. That person could be blasting another student, could be sharing nude photos of another student, could be blasting an administrator or a teacher, and they still don't know who it is. Los Angeles County schools, when schools go into session in September there, because they start later because they're weird, but whatever, and they will have three of, the, three of these four apps on the top row here on the front of every door of their school, of every school in Los Angeles County, telling kids, if you have this app on your phone, you need to take it off because it's not allowed. And so if those schools are banning these apps on the top row across the country, these are what I call my non-negotiable apps and anything like them. That's just four of probably 400 that you need to be aware of that do the same thing. When I say anonymous, anti, I call them anti-social apps because they're anonymous apps. These are things that you, make, you need to make sure that your kids do not have those applications. And kids, if I'm giving you an idea of apps to download, I'm sorry, parents, if you're if you're paying attention, make sure that your kids know that these are not okay. Next week, we're going to talk about exactly how to secure devices so that you can secure them, make sure that your kids aren't downloading things that they're not supposed to. So you can monitor them to make sure your kids aren't doing things that they're not supposed to. Remember again, we're our children's protectors first and foremost. God has entrusted us to them and them to us. These antisocial apps after school... Uh, and Yik Yak, the ones on the tail end there, are what's called, they're geolocated anonymous apps, meaning anybody in a geolocated area can talk to anybody else. For instance, a mile radius like a school campus. Anybody in that circle can talk to anybody else. It's kind of the same thing with Whisper, except Whisper kind of broadens it a little bit. There was a girl in Seattle that was lured to a park and beaten and raped using the Whisper app. And that's just one of probably hundreds of stories where kids have gotten in trouble on these applications. If the parents had had security measures in place on that device to where that app couldn't be downloaded or the account couldn't be created, that might have been, if, been prevented. And if we'd have been proactive, again, using that word, if we're proactive as parents, as guardians, and we have a plan for these things, very important that we understand 
having a plan, having a strategic plan for internet safety in our house is very important. These ones on the bottom row here, I put as streaming apps because uh, kids seem to be getting in lots of trouble with streaming apps, especially LiveMe. LiveMe came out um, with a, there was a big story out of Houston that came out with LiveMe of a, of a teenage girl who was on LiveMe who was streaming live in her room, and uh, men would get on there, can comment on this live stream, and we're telling her to undress. We're telling her to take her clothes off. She obliged. And the next time that she was streaming, the cops showed up at her front door. And you can actually watch the video, watch the stream of the cops walking in the room with the mother, and they're still looking at, and the men are dropping off the feed like crazy. What are we doing to protect our kids, and why would we ever let our kids get in a situation like that? I'm not saying you have bad kids. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever trust your kids. I'm saying it's our job to protect them, first and foremost. And I think that when we go back to what we're talking about, when we, go, when we talk about these non-negotiable apps, these streaming apps, when we're talking about all the things that we talked about this evening, we need to understand exactly what James is trying to tell us. That what we say is incredibly important. How we use the things that we do and say and the things that we post and the things that we are streaming and the things that we're doing, all that is shaping our personality, is shaping our children's lives. We need to understand that. We need to limit their scope. I often think about, as we kind of close this evening, the good things that maybe this technology can get us. What would the apostles have used Facebook for? What would Paul have used Twitter for or Snapchat or Instagram? If those men were alive today and they were, they were talking about the ministry of Jesus and they were sharing Jesus' miracles on YouTube, imagine what kind of tool that would be for millions of people instead of just thousands in a group huddled around Jesus to see that actually happening in real time, live across the world. You think about how much good it can do, but also how much evil it has. And what we can do as parents is we can restrict, we can create those boundaries and those fences for our children to make sure that they're protected. Next week, a little teaser for next week, I'm going to talk a lot about a lot of different services and applications that are, you do not have to be a rocket scientist to figure out. You can download them. Some of them you can pay five bucks a month and you can protect your children in ways that you never thought possible. And so we're going to talk about some of those next week. I hope you'll join us again next week. There are a lot of dangers. Next week we're going to talk about how to get away from some of those dangers. There are a ton of good things that these tools can accomplish and that's what they are. That's what we need to teach our kids, that these are tools to be used. And when I talk to kids, when I talk to teenagers, I tell them to use these, use Facebook, use Twitter, use Instagram, use these things for the glory of God. Use it as a tool to do God's will. There are a ton of good things that your kids can accomplish with these tools if we teach them how to use them effectively. It's up to us.